0: Welcome once again, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. John Manuel and Matt Eddy joining you again from the Baseball America podcast nook. The World Series is over, Matt, and neither one of us picked it correctly. No. Uh, we both picked the Rays, and congratulations, obviously, go out to the Philadelphia Phillies. Phil's in five. I don't know many people who had that, but I think one thing that was clear out of this World Series, Matt, is that at this time of year, the Phillies were the better team, whether it was experience whether it was their stars getting it done, whether it was their bullpen being just a hair better, especially at the end, the Phillies were the better team. They played better. They deserved it. But this was you—you you lose three games the entire postseason. There's nothing fluky about that. The Phillies were the hottest, best team in the in the major league postseason this year.
1: Yeah, you wonder what would have happened though. Had the Rays uh, persevered in that game three, where they were tied four to four, right. but then the Grant Balfors blow up in the ninth and I think that kind of sealed the, the Rays in the series. It did game kind of three. seal it.
0: No, you're right. That that was the decisive game. And a lot of times, I mean, you know, the, obviously the, the the Phillies come right out and, and get the momentum in the series by winning game one behind Cole Hamels, the eventual MVP. Uh, Tampa fights back, wins game two. But game three, it's, a, it's always a crucial game when you're 1-1 like that. Uh, so it's just, a, just such a difference being up 2-1 than, than being down. And the Rays certainly had their chances. and um, I think a lot of discussions are being had around the country about this World Series and quality of it, where it ranks and all that kind of stuff. and I think the bottom line of it is it, the reason it didn't rate well or, or these kind of things are, was getting panned. Or the weather certainly didn't help. The bottom line is the first three, three and a half games, four and a half games, really weren't too well played, I didn't think. <laughs> I didn't think it was baseball at its best. Last night's game or the championship game or the, the five, fifth game, the last three innings of game five. I'll get it out here sooner than later. <laughs> that was crisply played, well played. Well-pitched. It was good hitting. Yeah, Rocco Baldelli's solo home run, that was a great piece of hitting. Yep. Which Tim McCarver and Joe Buck could not come close to describing, you know, what he did well. To to be able to pull a ball that's riding in on you like that, right. and not just hit it, hit with a fat part of the bat. When you have Rocco Baldelli's 80 regular season of bats, the rust, his medical condition, that was an unbelievable piece of hitting by Rocco Baldelli. And it just, all we got out of Tim McCarver was, well, usually you want to stay away, so they they have to hit the home run away. It's like thanks a lot, old man. Go the heck back to Memphis and, <laughs> and give this up. Wow. But so I mean, that, well, that was just that was just terrible. That was brutal. I would have rather had Charles Barkley on than, <laughs> uh, than Tim McCarver in that instance. But the only people who weren't on top of their games in Game Five, uh, the resumption of Game Five, were McCarver and Buck. The first four plus games. I don't think either team was on its be- at its best, nor were the umpires. Uh, no, that's why I think the, the the series didn't have a whole lot of momentum. It seemed like it never seemed like it generated any momentum. Uh, I don't know if you thought it was as big of a dud as the national media did.
1: Uh, well, all the games were competitive except for the one blowout, the game uh, four, ten right. to two, Philly. You know, um, some some really bad calls on the bases, some very questionable ball and strike calls. You know, from in my opinion,
0: which happens a lot, but. This year seemed much worse than normal.
1: I think it seemed. I think, from my perspective, it seemed lopsided. I think more of the ball and strike calls went in favor of Philadelphia. I, I don't
0: disagree with you. <laughs> I don't. Maybe I that's don't just my,
1: my misperception, but that's just.
0: And they and that's a that's a stat that needs the corners and need the general yeah. strike zone. Moyer, Blanton, guys who can't overpower you, and whether it was a conscious thing or not, I don't think it is. I don't think the umpires are ever biased like that. Myself. But bigger strike zones, generous strike zone calls really helps guys who don't have overpowering stuff. And the Rays don't need a big strike zone. They they have power arms and um it cer- I it certainly didn't nothing worked out the way that you thought it would work out in that series. That said, it is kind of amazing how everyone thought like, Oh, Joe Blanton, he's gonna get drilled. I mean it's mm. Blanton versus Andy Seinstein. <laughs> I mean I like Andy Seinstein, but let's face it, Joe Blanton was supposed to be better than Andy Seinstein. He mm-hmm. was better. You no, know, Jamie Moyer, I I did say at the beginning of the playoffs. I think people were giving Jamie Moyer way too little respect. He had a great year this year uh for a 45-year-old. A good year for any major league pitcher. Uh probably the best 45-year-old season by a pitcher ever. And uh I realize it's a small sample size, but well
1: his getting rocked in the playoffs previously, I think fed into that.
0: I think so, but I guess my point is I never thought he he's not going to get rocked every time out. I mm-hmm. don't think so. I just think the guy was too good this year to get handled every single time out and I think the other part that people are going to criticize when you want to be critical in this series is Joe Madden and some of the moves he made for the Rays throughout the series, but specifically in the resumption of game five and um, I don't, you know, the whole weather thing, the whole weather controversy. It's easy to pile on Bud Selig. I don't think baseball really could have done a whole lot differently in that, uh, scenario, in that scenario. But what do you think of Joe Maddon? Do you think Joe Maddon uh, blundered with his with his handling of the bullpen uh, throughout the series, or just Game Five? Or uh, do you, do you think you can pin the loss in this series on Joe Maddon?
1: No, I don't think so. Not in this case. Uh, I you wonder how much experience he has managing in the National League under the National League rules, given what we saw last night. I think uh, you're right. The Howell at bat in particular. Correct. You know, you do you do have guys on the bench who can hit, who can bunt if you want. Uh, you probably wouldn't bunt if you brought in a pinch hitter. You have several switch hitters. You have several. Yeah, Willie Aybar was not in the game, I believe. No, he was not. You had how many Pins five over. relievers left. Yeah. over. I think you can sacrifice J.P. Howell there in that situation.
0: I think you can, and also the big thing is if you don't have – if you have enough faith in J.P. Howell to leave him in in that situation, then you leave him in even after he gives up the the double near Homer to Pat Burrell. Yep. So that was very odd. And then if you wanted to have a lefty there and you want to have someone who you could go more than one or two batters with, you should have gone to David Price probably. So uh, I I thought that I, that's why we, we had an off-air discussion before the series where I really was surprised – that people were maybe giving an edge. Some people were giving an edge to the Rays' bullpen. I thought it did play out over the series. The Phillies' bullpen was the better bullpen. I think the number one reason the Phillies won the World Series this year is they were so good out of the bullpen all year. That's the biggest difference between them and the Mets. Brad Lidge was the biggest difference between those two teams. And The confidence that you have when you have a bullpen that's that good, Mm. uh, I just think that that is what the Phillies fed off of. And I think Charlie Manuel also deserves credit. He dictated the matchups in Game 5 specifically in the resumption of that game especially. And while Pedro Feliz basically is not a good major league player, he would rather have Feliz versus Bradford rather than Dobbs or Stairs or anybody else versus Price. With the game on the line, with a tying run, third, a go-ahead run, potential winning run at third base, he wanted to take his chances with Chad Bradford, not David Price. Right. And that was a really smart move, and I thought that was the thing. It's not that it's so much logical because when it first was happening, I was like, I can't believe he's gonna let Pedro Feliz hit in the situation, but he dictated the situation, and that's where I just think uh, he get, he he deserves kudos for doing that. Whereas Joe Madden kind of let the situations dictate what he did, and I think you have to be the man in control, and, and I think Charlie Manuel was.
1: Yeah, it looked a lot like Madden was almost learning on the job, almost you know, and for a third-year manager, that's
0: that's Not a, a that's time. a problem. He, and he he did learn from his mistakes I think in the Red Sox series in game 5 he he learned in game 7 and went to price but then like you said it was like a whole new learning curve in the National League rules and he didn't necessarily handle it very well but obviously a great season for both uh, for both clubs I mean huge yeah. kudos for the Rays for winning 97 regular season games seven more uh, eight more in the postseason I should say I mean, 105 wins for the Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> That's like two seasons worth earlier in their <laughs> earlier in their they're, history. They're, we haven't ridiculous. even talked about
1: Cole Hamill's. You know, the barely the even. phenomenal season he had pitching. Phenomenal. Coming into the year, there was uh, what he had to prove is that he could hold up for a whole season and be that ace. And he did. He did, like he did an absolute spade this, this year.
0: I mean, unbelievable. Five, and,
1: five strong playoff starts on top of a of a uh, close to Cy Young-caliber season.
0: And I was reading, actually, uh, this morning, I was actually reading, because I'm doing a Phillies Top 30 this offseason. I was reading two years ago Phillies Top 30, just breezing through it, making sure, taking some notes on players who might have come and gone. And I was actually reading the overview from that year, and it was 06, when Pat Gillick really rolled the dice, traded away Corey Lytle and especially Baba Brady to the Yankees, really for pennies on the dollar. And that trade really is what started the Phillies toward this World Series championship. They got rid of Abreu. Their clubhouse came together. They played with more energy after that. Uh, obviously, Bob Abreu is a productive player, but the, he didn't fit with the Phillies. They weren't winning with Bob Abreu. And uh, boy, Jason Wirth had a great series in some ways. <laughs> a couple of base running gaps here or there, but uh, a couple of flailing defensive plays, I remember, at the wall. But, uh, you know, they, they, he was a better fit. Jason Wirth's a better fit. Shane Victorino playing. Better fit, Yeah, they gave up Aaron Rowan. They lost him in free agency. But Shane Victorino fit this team. Um, they could have played Greg Dosmore. But, you know, Peter Feliz is a really good defensive third baseman. Right. and Especially with the left-handed pitching they have. Moyer, you can't tell me having Feliz over there didn't help Jamie Moyer have the kind of year he had. So yep. I really think the Phillies were just a well-thought-out team, a team that played with energy. Certainly not a perfect team. Certainly a team with some flaws. But, you know, in 06, they traded a brave. They made a run at the division at the Mets. They were kind of far behind there. They made a run, just fell short of the wild card in '06. Finished so strong, and won the division in '07. Finished strong again this year in '08. I think Charlie Manuel deserves a lot of credit. Pat Gillick, what a way to go out as a general manager. If is, <laughs> he does step down, for sure. That was it sounds like he is uh,
1: the fourth team he's taken to the playoffs, correct? Or in the fourth, fourth franchise he's taken to the champion? playoffs,
0: and uh, the, the third World Series is one second team. That's what a World Series. So his resume is two Blue Jays World Series championships. Uh, Baltimore as a uh, 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 getting into championship series, uh, Seattle the best best, best Mariners season, teams season. ever, best Mariners teams ever in a 116 win season in 2001. And yeah, you can't make the point that some of those teams, those franchises, did collapse after he left. But uh, honestly, I mean, uh, while he was there, they all did pretty well. And now the Phillies won a World Series, only the second time in their history. So, uh, Pat Gillick, oh, uh, you know, championship. Player at col- in college at Southern California, championship general manager. That guy's career in baseball is uh, right up there. It's almost unparalleled uh, his accomplishments. So. Uh,
1: going back to what you said about Abreu, it, it's interesting that the the Phillies were the perennial underachievers in the years '01 through '06. When, yeah, at, at the point they traded Abreu, they were and, like and what the have they been in the last two years? Overachievers. significant overachievers. Absolutely,
0: they were like uh, the Astros of the '90s, where the Astros are like always like. Well, they had that run of like finishing second five, six years in a row. and I think the Phillies finished between eighty and eighty-six wins, eighty and eighty-seven wins, eighty and eighty-eight wins for like six straight years. They've been,
1: they've been in the race, on the fringe of the race every year. Basically, but not push through.
0: Been like the Blue Jays have yeah. been in the, in the last decade with one or two years of where the Blue Jays might have bottomed out. But the Blue Jays are always between eighty and ninety wins, always threatening the playoffs. The Phillies able to break through the last couple of years. The Blue Jays have not been able to.
1: With an assist by the Mets.
0: That that uh <laughs> that was an unspoken part of that that I was uh, leaving out, but uh, you are correct, sir. Yes. So, uh, so the Phillies just amazing, just how also they're really in some ways more homegrown than the Rays. Uh, you know, with Utley, their best player, I mean Chase Utley, phenomenal year. Uh, don't understand how the Fielding Bible scores them a plus forty seven, but gives its Fielding Bible uh, award at second base to Brandon Phillips at plus seventeen. I hmm. saw that press release today. I didn't see that, no. But they did that, and that boggles the mind. It, uh, so I don't quite understand that methodology. But Chase Elliott, phenomenal player. Ryan Howard, a flawed player, but he's almost, gonna, almost guaranteed to finish first or second in the National League in home runs every <laughs> year if he's healthy. Jimmy Rollins has a bad year but still leads this team. Uh, worth, Victorino. Pat Burrell goes 0 for 13 in the World Series in his last at-bat. Uh, near home run, double that ends up scoring the winning run. So Yep. A lot of home, and you mentioned Hamels, Brett Myers, uh, Ryan Matz, and a lot of very crucial homegrown players, and even Shane Victorino certainly not homegrown, but his first year in the organization was spent in the Interna- international league with the Phillies in Scranton. He was IL MVP, so they did I think have a, something of a hand in, in developing him as well. So, uh, just amazing uh, story for the Philadelphia Phillies, and uh, I'm happy for Jason Stark and a lot of other Phillies fans. <laughs> uh, Chris they're, Klein, they're kind
1: of like the Royals, you know? They have a lot of fans in the national media for. For Some reason
0: it's strange, I think, because a lot of all those guys grew up in the 70s when the Phillies and, and Royals were so significantly go. relevant. So it
1: was the Mike Schmidt George Brett rivalry,
0: th- there is <laughs> that as well. So uh, it's a Baseball America podcast. I'm John, he's Matt. We're uh, wrapping up the postseason now. We're going to talk a little Arizona Fall League, Hawaii Winter Baseball. We're kind of shifting into prospect season here, Matt. Uh, you're working on three top 30s, I'm working on three top 30, so we'll definitely talk about those uh, next week on baseballamerica.com. We start posting American League uh, East top ten prospects, so I'm sure that Will Lingo and I will do a podcast. He did the Orioles, I did the Junkies. Um, you don't you, you start win with the Mariners, No, the Blue Jays. For? Oh, good grief! I forgot about the Blue Jays. Good grief. We really just talk about Yankees and Blue Jays, but we'll do that next week. <laughs> we'll have some. We might even have a podcast extra for you. But uh, I, so I like looking already. I even had to reference the fall league already in my Yankees top ten because Austin Jackson certainly going to factor into the Yankees top ten. Off to a good start. Talk to a scout out there who likes what he sees out of Austin Jackson. But really, Matt, I mean, like, how much stock when you're ranking a top 30 or a top 10, do you make of uh, how much stock do you put in a performance in the fall league?
1: In the Arizona Fall League, in particular, uh, it's very conducive to hitting. The the environment is so that you know the hitting numbers. You you certainly don't like to see a guy go there and fall on his face. Right. But at the same time, the the power numbers, you know, you you have to. uh, Take it with a grain of salt, as they say. For pitchers, and then on the flip side, you would think it would be a great sign for pitchers, but they're only going three innings. So that's right. the flip side. It doesn't prove anything about their ability to go through a lineup twice or to get to their secondary stuff necessarily.
0: A lot of guys go out there in this glorified uh, instructional league, basically. They're working on a pitch. You know, last year, Nick Blackburn specifically went out there told, throw more breaking balls, throw more curveballs, throw more change-ups. It really was finishing school for him. and it, it, His performance it wasn't so much the, that he performed well, although he did. It was the fact that, in his, you know, that his performance actually did really influence my rankings last year with the Twins because he finished so strong. He pitched in the championship game. It was like his 180th inning. He was still up to ninety ninety three and touching a four in that game. So that was an instance that was an outlier for me where his folly performance really did influence my rankings. For the most part, though, I really... You have to talk about scouting reports, and you really can't talk about, I think, performance. That said, there's Tommy Hansen, whose <laughs> scouting reports and performance are matching up right now in the Fall League. He's probably the biggest story of the Fall League right now. Fourteen strikeouts in his first eight and two-thirds innings. One hit allowed for the Braves right-hander. Plus, he's in the news because of the Jake Peavy trade talks. Braves on that they're not going to give up Tommy Hansen. And I'll throw in a little trivia. He's an <laughs> ABD Bulldogs alumnus, and the ABD Bulldogs just won the uh, Boywood Bat Association championship. In Jupiter last weekend, so Tommy Hansen, Nick Noonan, Josh Vitters, Chris Parmalee, a few of your current minor league alumni, and your big league alumni. Can you name the big league alumnus, Matt, uh, who once attended Long Beach State, who was, uh, just won a World Series ring and would play for ABD Bulldogs from age 13 to 18?
1: Just won a World Series ring this year? Uh, yeah, that's right. So we're looking for a Philly uh, from Long Beach State?
0: Yeah, that's right. And he also oh, attended an- another Andrew school. Carpenter? No, but he also attended ad- another college as well. He attended three colleges, <laughs> one junior and two full Eric Brutlett? I don't know. No, he went to Stanford. This would That's be Greg Dobbs. Okay. Greg Dobbs, an ABD Bulldogs alumnus. And the only other big leaguer who <laughs> played for ABD Bulldogs, James Parr. The correct answer is James Parr. So uh, welcome to trivia here at BaseballAmerica.com. But, uh, <laughs> Matt, I mean, Danny Murphy's a guy who went to the fall league specifically. Like you said, you, you notice the numbers, and he was hitting 400 while healthy. Uh, But I guess the real thing that people were following with Danny Murphy, or Daniel Murphy to his friends and family, was uh, can he play second base? Um, How much do you think you can even judge Danny Murphy playing second base with the infields out there? and That kind of limited a look.
1: That's a good point. I I guess he talks about – he has a blog, actually, uh, on one of our competitor sites. And he talks
0: about – dot com. That's okay. We can name it.
1: And he talks about – the coaching staff working with him, so maybe getting different viewpoints on playing second base could help the help the transition. Or maybe it'll just confuse him. But <laughs> that's that it could be a factor.
0: I, I like the idea of going to the fall league like that where well, the level of play is faster than it would be in instructional league True. to make a position change like that. True. He did try that in double A in the Eastern League. The reports I got on it were not uh, you know so great. That was not it was that Danny Murphy probably lacks the agility to play second base every day in the big leagues. But if he could do it a little bit if he's like a Tony Phillips kind of – well, not Tony Phillips, but if he's a super utility guy who can spell David Wright from time to time at third base, mm-hmm. uh, play some first base when Carlos Delgado needs a day off, play some left field, and on the occasion play second base so you don't have to play Arjenos Reyes, <laughs> or you, don't have to, you aren't crippled when 36-year-old or 38-year-old Damian Easley goes down with an injury, then Daniel Murphy has some real value to a major league team. He's a 400 bat guy. That guy would be pretty good, I think.
1: Yeah, I, a full season on the corners—it makes all kinds of sense until he until a position opens up for him full time until they determine what that position is.
0: Right, right. You know? Yeah, where 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 is that position? That's a good question too. And the fall league, you know, used to almost stand alone. But I gotta be honest with you—I look at the uh, Hawaii winter baseball. I'm almost more interested in what's going on in Hawaii winter baseball. There are a lot of big names out there. Yonder Alonso. Buster Posey, two 2008 first-rounders. I had this great scouting report. Uh, I thought of two scouts who have actually been to Hawaii. Uh, but, you know, 97 miles an hour, first pitch by Andrew Brackman. In the Hawaii winter <laughs> baseball season is thrown by New York's, uh, you know, the Yankees' 2007 first-round pick, and that's 97. Here's a guy who hasn't thrown a pitch in anger in a competitive game. It's May of 07. Imagine that. He's had Tommy John surgery, an appendectomy, uh, sign this giant contract, all this rehab, comes out and blows 97 on his first pitch. That's awesome. That would be a pretty nice feeling, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> if you could sit out all that time and blow 97 <laughs> your first pitch, I mean. If I could touch
1: 77, I'd be impressed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, that's how I feel about it. I mean, uh, but you got Todd Frazier out there having a great year. You got Roger Kinshack, or as I call him right here, Roger uh, making his pro debut, basically, for the uh, Giants. That's an interesting li- – that's a show. <laughs> Hawaii owner baseball's Pretty interesting. I don't know that it's as good as the Fall League yet, but it's pretty interesting.
1: It's fun because the first and second year guys, for the most part, and uh, you know those guys are easier to dream on. You know, let's let's Absolutely. be honest. You know, no, it's not right. Double A and Triple A guys who have the warts exposed.
0: That's a great way to put it. They have these guys. Ryan Kalish, you can still dream on Ryan Kalish. He's had some injuries. He's had some trouble. Is Pro career so far, but he's shown you glimpses, and now he's showing you some more glimpses in the fall leagues. Already got, I mean, in winter baseball, he's already got ten steals. Plus, I like the fact that these guys are all getting exposed to some Japanese players. getting mm. it's a little, it's a little taste of some of the, uh, of some uh, international flavor. And then uh, we just had our correspondent in Hawaii, Stacy Kanashiro, who wrote a really neat article about some mid-season. Uh, additions in Hawaii Winter Baseball, which include Kyle Drabeck coming off Tommy John surgery, goes from Instructional League to Hawaii. He's throwing 94-96 out there. That's <laughs> nothing but good news this month for the Phillies. you got Brett Hunter, who missed a lot of the spring with Pepperdine, came back late, signed for a million dollars with the A's. He's out there in Hawaii Winter Baseball making up for some lost time. Uh, and Then you have Adam Lowen, uh, you know, co- moved off a 40-man roster by the Orioles. They were going to try to re-sign him. The Blue Jays signed him instead, uh, one Canadian to another, and they've sent Adam Owen to, to Hawaii winter baseball to get a little more, uh, a few more bats in, so they can evaluate him as a hitter. Pretty fascinating, I think, deal for uh, some of the roster guys out in Hawaii winter baseball right now.
1: Definitely. Is Lowen playing first base or outfield? Or?
0: I haven't seen a position on Adam Lowen out there. I just know that um, our writer talked to him, Stacey talked to him, about the process of, you know, why didn't you re-sign with that team, uh, with your original club? And he just said, you know, the Blue Jays instantly talked to me and uh, uh, he was really interested and he was listening. He's had one at bat so far and it was obvious it was a pinch hitter because there's no position listed. But, uh, you know, why not if you're the Blue Jays? So uh, I think it's a smart move for them. And in one day uh, you had – a very consequential 2002 draft for the World Series. You had B.J. Upton, Scott Casimir, and, and Cole Hamels all from that draft. But you also had Brian Bullington, your number one overall pick, and Adam Lowen, your number four. <laughs> Both go to the Blue Jays on the same day yep. um, on a waiver claim and then on a, that a year free agent signing. Th- is
1: that the year they took Russ Adams in the draft? I believe it is. Which of those three would you rather have at this point in time?
0: Russ Adams, Adam Lowen, or Brian Bullington. Bullington? I'd take my chances with Russ Adams. Yeah. I'd move Russ Adams to second base and see if it – could somehow magically come back.
1: <laughs> the, 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 we were talking before the, the podcast about uh, some some of your personal favorite pitchers in the HWB. Would sure. You, would you care to uh, expound on them?
0: Uh, I do. I have a couple Hawaii winter baseball guys. I'm, I, I respect the Lewis Clark State program up in Idaho quite a bit, NAIA superpower. <laughs> they have 15 championships in the last 23 years. But Chris Kissok is a slender, quick-armed right-hander, I believe is in the Phillies organization. Uh, he's pitching well on Hawaii winter baseball right now. Uh, only four hits allowed in 15 innings and 15 strikeouts. And, you know, touch a 91, but mostly just the, the competitiveness of this guy. And there was always a thought of projection. He was listed at 6'3", 160 at Lewis Clark State. So always some thought that if this guy got some meat on his bones, the 90 and 91 that he would touch would be where he'd sit. Always had life on the fastball. Always showed a quick wrist and the ability to spin a breaking ball. And then Kyle Bloom is a, a lefty. Older guy in the Pirates organization, but a guy who really made progress in the second half of this season, according to his manager, Tim Leeper, who's no longer with the organization. But Leeper said they made an adjustment with Kyle Bloom where they – Took the hesitation; he had a pause in his delivery. They eliminated that, and that quickened his arm. Fastball velocity got up to 92. You know, sitting more in the 88-90 range, which is solid average for a lefty, as opposed to fringe or below, which he used to. And the crispness of his pitches increased. And and again, he's performing out there. It's a pitcher's league, but 21 strikeouts in 20 innings, 11 hits allowed. Kyle Bloom's a lefty, and you're gonna keep giving those guys chances. And right now, it sounds like he's gone from a guy. With three fringy pitches to a guy with three average pitches, and that's a guy who's got a chance. So yeah, I like him. Yeah. Yes, sir. I like him. I like him a lot. <laughs> uh, who Who are your personal cheese balls in Arizona Fall League or Hawaii Winter Baseball? Before we sign off,
1: well, I've got to bring up uh, Brad Emis. In, yeah, you do. in Hawaii Winter Baseball, he's he's a name you may you, know, you might see him in the Blue Jays' top ten. You know, just to throw that out there. But he was an eleventh round pick in '07 out of uh, Tulane. Tulane, right? Yeah. He, the The Blue Jays drafted him with kind of a bum ankle. You know, he's fully recovered this year and he put together a, a very solid season. And if you're looking for a, a best case comp on him, the name that comes up all the time is Ty Wigginton. Nice. Another personal cheese ball of this particular podcast. That's
0: right, I love Ty Wigginton. <laughs> because you know he's
1: got he, he grinds out at bats, he's a right handed batter. He's competent at second and third, he's not gonna blow you away with his, his range. Um, and, and, but mostly it's the offensive potential in in. I think he ranked sixth in the Florida State League in extra base hits during the season.
0: No, he and the it's thing solid is, bat. he was very highly regarded out of high school. He Just really never came through like they hoped he would um, at Tulane. But I didn't even notice that Ruben Tejada is playing out in the Hawaii Winter Baseball for the Mets, and and the Mets are going to push this guy until he can't take anymore. He's a 19-year-old who played a full season in the Florida State League. Nice playing in the Hawaii Winter Baseball every day at shortstop and. He's on, holding his own. He's on
1: the other side of the keystone of Greg Veloz, right?
0: Uh, he has been uh, throughout his uh, minor league career, and now he is again. And uh, Greg Veloz nine errors in seventeen <laughs> games and uh, scuffling a bit with the bat. I do like Greg Veloz, but uh, I think Ruben Tejada's got a better, uh, higher ceiling. So uh, they're definitely guys to watch out there. And uh, we will have a full Hawaii Winter Baseball Top Twenty prospects for you sooner than later, and we'll have. Uh, Arizona Fall League prospects, of course, at the end of that. And if you go to baseballamerica.com and you go to the prospects blog right now, our own Kerry Booyer is out in Arizona Fall League, and he's already unearthed such gems as, uh, well, Wes Hodges had a tired arm, had a DH a game or two, or Sean West, who had a blister issue that he alleviated by urinating on his hands daily for a week. Blister be gone. It's a proven method. It is a proven method. It works better than the, uh, and The blister uh, remedies that Josh Beckett used to use, uh, and Moi Faith Ah uh, we know that he prefers that method as well. So no doubt, Sean West toughening up on the in fall league, so.
1: and also the, uh, the, the the breakout Astros breakout uh, second baseman Drew Sutton. That's right, learning a thing or two from his golf swing and translating that into uh, the be- the baseball realm.
0: That's that's why we hired Carey. He's got good stuff on the on the prospects blog on the Arizona Fall League. So check that out. So uh, any, anything else in the fall league or winter baseball from you, met? I'm also done. I'm going to go pick up my kids. We'll have more on the next Baseball America podcast. I think next week we probably should go ahead and have a little AL East roundtable with yeah. me and Will Linger at the very least. Sure. Talking uh, Jay Orioles and the uh, New York Jockeys as I have done them. This is my fifth year doing the Jockeys now. Oh so wow, congratulations. I know. I I don't think there's anybody who's ranked all five years. It's a complete turnover in the Jockeys' top 30. That's good. Uh, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. I could have ranked, uh, I think Reggie Corona could have been in all five if I <laughs> really wanted to. No, not Rigi Corona. Marcos Vecchionacci, probably, yes. or Eric Duncan. I think Vecchionacci has been best Cervelli's been in the system for a while, too. Has he not? He has. Uh, but I think Vecchionacci has been best field arm for the five years <laughs> of them the list. So, so there you go. Uh, for, until next time, he's Matt. I'm John. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.
1: After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port Chicago, Illinois.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispie Sandwich.